Welcome to episode number 114 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and issues handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about alternatives to abort gates, uh, specifically on the dust collector dirty side ducting. We're doing that with Nick Schlentz, president at Boss Products LLC based out of Schertz, Texas. Nick has been involved in air material handling industries for um, a number of years now. He's also a member of NFPA 61, the Standard Prevention of Fires and Dust Explosions in Agricultural and Food Processing Facilities. Nick, I'm going to give you a chance to go through a bit of your background, your role in industries, but I just want to start by saying thanks for coming on the podcast and welcome to the, the show today. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, quite glad to be on. Yeah, so um, to talk a little bit about my history, uh, basically, I, I grew up in the dust collection industry. Uh, it's been a family business. Um, my father actually started in 1969, and I basically spent my entire life or career in this business. Um, I've pretty much done everything from hanging pipe to bag house filter changes, cold calling, and working on large-scale complex projects. Um, so anyway, um, as far as Boss Products is concerned, uh, this is a company we started uh, about eight years ago. The initial goal was to assemble a complete family of fire and explosion protection systems, specifically for dust collection. Um, we're also very active in process and bulk handling. And uh, as of right now, my, my primary role is uh, working on product launches and assisting our team in application knowledge. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think the the kind of genesis of this interview came about, uh, Nick emailed me after, I think after listening to episode 105 of the podcast, where we had Corey Gardner on talking about high-speed abort gates and a safety share that they had. So We'll, we'll probably rehash some of these in this interview, but in that interview, um, Corey talked about at their their company, which was a wood processing company, they did some testing on their board gates um, and found that normally the testing was successful, but they were doing it uh, without the fans running. So they, they did this round of testing for whatever reason with the fans going and found that the abort gates did not close. Um, and that would have been a, a you know, a difficulty, a challenge if uh, a deflagration had happened as they would not have um, protected the, the next piece of equipment in the line. I actually found this on two different abort gates, one that was new and one that was in service for a while. And he shared sort of the lessons learned, what they did after that, and, you know, just some of the findings around this this information in that episode, which was 105. Nick had reached out to me and we had quite a bit of discussions on these abort gates behind the scenes. He had some sort of different recommendations that they make at, at Boss Products with these types of equipment. I thought it was really a good way to um, get so to the, the the community more. So we, we had a safety share. We talked about abort gates. Um, this episode, we're going to look more into, you know, what are some alternatives to abort gates? What are some of the challenges that we're looking at? Uh, what kind of recommendations does this boss and, and, and Nick make? And in our specific focus here, we're going to be focusing on woodworking applications for the most part and any other sort of recommendations Nick has from his experience in these industries. So, I appreciate getting some of your background, Nick. I guess we'll jump sort of right in. What are some of the challenges you see with abort gates, um, and especially in this, you know, circumstance of having them on the dirty side in, in a dust collection system? Yeah, there there is many, many, many challenges, uh, especially on the dirty side. Um, us at Boss Products have observed these these uh, issues, like we you talked about on that previous podcast, and uh, our our recommendation and thoughts on our abort gates are that they should only be installed on the clean side. Uh, because they're just too high risk of failure. Um, this blade fl- fluttering is just is the most common issue for all abort gates, whether it's installed on the dirty or clean side. Um, but we've observed that it's typically caused, you know, by poor duct design um, or using undersized abort gates for the volume. 
what we've observed with ours and with others of workgates is that basically you run just too high velocity through these things and that's what causes the problems um you know we, we want to be seeing something like 3,000 to 3,500 feet per minute max maximum um and then what happens though is that that might be just too slow for material transport that that's a real major issue um also elbows play a major role uh times elbows get installed too close they have minor to short radius you know it becomes a real big issue at elevated speeds what the real issue is, though, is where system design needs to account for all this stuff and proper operation of all safety devices. Um, you know, another problem is that contractors will put a job for low price and install smaller ducting and abort gates in an effort to save money, and they just don't understand the application enough to know better. Specifically, when it's installed on the dirty side, you have additional risks. Um, also, you, there's damage from material and corrosive dust and accidental drops, you know, will also divert the material to the airstream into the from the airstream into the environment. So really what I'm trying to say here is that you know abort gates can have lots of problems. Um, they really need to be run at slower velocities to have proper operation and that's just not really possible on the dirt side. One of the things the terms you said there at one point I think was maybe blade fluttering. Yes. Is so can you explain that a bit for the audience? It's basically um, the blade won't drop. So when it's activated, it will go up and down and up and down, and it just will not close. And this happens at high speeds, and we've observed them a lot in our report gates when they're installed improperly. Okay, that's interesting. It's the most common issue. Yeah, and that's I think that's either the issue or or similar to the issue that Corey mentioned in in episode one hundred five of the podcast, where they are having a challenge. You know, the, the blade would sort of come down, but wouldn't close all the way. And of course, if you had a deflagration, then it's probably not binary, but at least from a safety perspective, we want the thing closed if, we, if we're trying to stop an explosion. Yeah. Even if maybe that does decrease the probability of transmission, it's still it's designed to close. So you mentioned a couple of challenges then. So so blade fluttering, and it's, it's interesting you mentioned the flow velocity, because I don't think we brought that up in episode 105. But that's something that, that maybe a, a a company needs to be thinking about if they're running at high flow velocities because they need to that to convey their material one don't lower the the, the flow velocity, convey the material <laughs> that's the whole purpose of the system um but you know you need to be thinking then is an abort gate going to work on the dirty side there you talk about design in terms of putting in elbows and bends you know different things that are going to cause the the system to react differently you need to account for that and you know that can cause challenge for the abort gate System design, damage, abrasion, you know, sticky product getting in there, product getting stuck in, and on the, the latching mechanisms and that. So I, I can see how those are, you know, the challenges with the the dirty side use of these piece of equipment. Did we do we miss anything? Is there any anything else that we should, you know, before we kind of talk about some of the alternatives, anything else we're missing? Not, not specifically. Um, basically, a lot of it comes down to duct design and velocity and you know, on the dirty side, you got you got to maintain that high velocity, and abort gates tend to fail under those conditions. I guess I, we didn't really talk about this when we were, you know, prepping for the the interview, but it might be interesting to the audience. Then, I guess on the clean side, you know, what is it doing, and why do we recommend using it on the the clean side? Then, well, um, abort gates are they are excellent pieces of equipment when they're applied and installed correctly. And what it's done on the clean side is if you're in an environment where you're returning the air to the workspace, it will divert fire and flames and you know smoke and things like that, um, so it doesn't go back into the workplace. So it's really for return return filtered air systems. 
so then I guess if I'm, I'm listening to this right now, I'm going, oh, shoot, <laughs> my plan was used in a board gate or, or potentially we have one installed. You know, what are some of the, the other recommended practices then for, I think we talked about woodworking as being a good example here. Um, so maybe we'll start with that. What kind of uh, practices should people be using to, we well, seem backing up before that, we should give a little bit of a description of, of the abort gate. So the role the abort gate plays then would be to protect a deflagration. Fire hazard, more specifically. Yeah, yeah. Or, or fire hazard, more than a deflagration, right? So a fire hazard from getting into the dust collection system. Is that on, the, on the dirty side. Yeah. On the dirty side. Okay, so with that in mind, then what other alternatives should we be looking at for, for this type of protection? You know, at Boss Products, uh, we, we typically uh, handle the dirty side prevention systems, and that's what it really is, is an a explosion prevention or fire prevention system for the, for the inlet ducting. We, we typically offer these in a good, better, and best approach. You know, the, the better and, and best solutions that we offer you know, replace the abort gate with an isolation system. Um, and what we use what's called a fire break shutter. It's basically a, a gate or a, a knife gate that, that drops very quickly and is actually fire rated and certified for this type of application. So it's, it's an isolation approach instead of diversion. So that that's kind of your better and your best, I guess. If, if you're going to have a three-tiered system, it begs the question, what's, what's good and maybe why would you consider one of the other tiers? Well, the, the good solution would be a detect and a water spray system only. And it really is the most common approach that we see. It doesn't have secondary protection and it doesn't divert or isolate, you know, the flames or the risk. Um, a better solution would be to de detect and then spray and isolate at the same time. Um, so what happens is basically you're going to detect the spark or the risk and um, it's going to spray water and then actually shut that fire break at the same time. The only real drawback to this is that it will shut down your system every time there's an event. And, you know, in some uh, processes, there will be, uh, there can be multiple events today. So it's not really going to work. Yeah. Let me kind of summarize this a little bit then. So we have sort of the basic, I mean, the, the very basic is to have nothing. Um, so we're hoping to get uh, above nothing. The, ne the next step is um, detect and I guess you call it detect and extinguish using it. Yeah, detect and extinguishing. Yeah. And then after that, you'd have detect and extinguish. And you, you see it in two different approaches, I guess, detect, extinguish, and then detect abort or isolate. Um, in this case, you're also saying really you can also set up that when you detect that first one, you can also extinguish and isolate. The challenge there is any false positives. I think I used that right. Yeah. You're going to shut down your operating line. Then we have um, also the best solution. What we consider the best solution would be to detect water spray or extinguishing, redetect, and then isolate. And it is the ideal solution that we recommend for safe operation and minimum shutdown. So the better solution is kind of the same idea, but it only does one detection and then sprays and isolates at the same time. Uh, what we consider the best solution would be to detect, you know, spray. And then if just by chance something were to make it past the water spray, we would uh, be able to detect that risk and then isolate it. And that's what would shut your system down. So that's typically, you know, why uh, abort gates are used. So instead of using the, um, the abort gate on the dirty side, we actually use a physical barrier. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, to the the person that's listening to this right now and saying, well, you know, maybe I should just go with the good solution. We do see cases where detect, extinguish don't work. Uh, it's I would, and I do maybe have to be careful, but I guess the way I'd say is it's sort of a probability-based system. Um, it's not guaranteed to, to detect every 
Spark. And it, I mean, it's good to go talk to your, your Spark detection company and the people that are manufacturing like Boss and, and those to, to get an idea about this. But it's really good to have a backup or redundancy in that system. And and from a incident perspective, we do see it. There was a Georgia Pacific plant explosion a number of years ago that uh, comes to mind where they had a detect extinguish, detect abort, and it went through both. And actually, in that case, the abort failed as well. I believe it did abort past the dust collector um, into the clean side, but then got back in and went up the clean side and back into the dust collector and caused an explosion. Um, and we do see other cases where these systems don't work. Another one that comes to mind back in episode 109 of the podcast. I don't know if I mentioned this in the episode, but one of the incidents that they had at that facility, yeah, I think I did mention it, the spark detection system triggered or detected, but the breaker switched when the suppression was supposed to happen. It didn't end up suppressing, and then they had a fire um, in their in their dust collector. So it is good to have redundancy in the system. I just want to kind of make that point that moving from you know nothing to good to to better to best, there's there's reasons to go through that. And I don't know, Nick. Nick, maybe you can explain it more elegantly than I can. Why why else would somebody consider moving up the up the chain? It's really a, a matter of risk in your process, and also you know your budget. If you're a small, you know, 10, 10 man or 20 guy cabinet shop, it, it may not make financial sense to uh, detect, spray, redetect, and isolate. Um, it's better to have a good solution than no solution. So that's sort of on your fire protection and from the 30 side getting into the dust collector. Do you recommend additional protection for, say, explosion initiating in the dust collector and coming them back out towards the the processing operation or back into the building from the, the dirty side? Yeah, absolutely. Um, isolation, venting, and system shutdown. You got to have a properly sized explosion vents in, accordance with, in accordance with NFPA 68. You got to have inland and outlet isolation. Um, inland and outlet isolation is a good majority of what we do. You got to have uh, make sure that those valves have you know intended use testing and certification for it. Um, we actually just finished... Uh, certification on our new offering for inlet isolation valves that um, that are certified for isolating the inlet and the outlet push and flow you know unlimited elbows horizontal vertical and all other angles and uh, there's also been uh, some talk about recently about anomalies being discovered in, in uh, the testing procedures not you know observing real world conditions um, we've had uh, discoveries made in our testing and uh, all of our valves have been certified for these uh, real world um, installations. So I guess in addition to those sort of approaches, is there anything for the, I, I kind of know the answer to this, I guess, but let's talk about it a bit. What about the the hopper itself and the dust collector? Um, are there considerations that should be put around isolation for that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, hopper isolation is is an issue, especially in the woodworking industry. Um, NFPA compliant valves that you typically see on the market, um, they use real tight tolerance uh, rotor blades, and they're just a maintenance nightmare for, for fibrous and large materials, and they just clog. And so what people typically do is they use a flex tip uh, rotary valve that's not compliant, and it won't isolate the flame. So, you know, at, at Boss here, we uh, recognize that, and we brought to market a certified and explosion-tested, uh, you know, certified rotary valve that meets all the NFPA compliance and exceeds the um, all the requirements, especially for the uh, composite or non-metallic, you know, material. So there are options out there, and it just needs to be con considered in your design. 
Yeah, and we'll have a way to contact Nick in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 114.114. We'll also have a link to the Boss Products webpage. I'm sure on there you guys have the information on those isolation valves. I would assume they're they're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to make a note on that because you kind of mentioned the flex tip valves. Um, and I guess the backstory is I've recently heard about some cases where there's been an explosion, say, at a transfer point in a conveying system, and then that in, in woodworking industries, and then that blew through a whole bunch of things. It blew through a, a hopper that was supposed to have a head of material. It blew through a rotary valve, um, screw, another rotary valve, another screw. And each one of those was was thought to be a, a sufficient um, isolation device in its own right. So it kind of failed six isolation devices. I thought we, I, I don't know about the circumstance about what those rotary valves were designed as, but this point on the flex tip rotary valves could you just expand on that and, and why they're not certified I, I don't know if, if the flex tip were used but the point of the story was that we've seen this where systems were installed and they thought they would isolate but they didn't so how might um, a, a flex tip valve be used incorrectly uh, or, or you know allow an explosion to go through they need to be proven to isolate the flame and, and retain the pressure or keep the pressure in, inside of where the explosion happens. So they need to be also another thing that might have happened in what you're talking about is there was no interlock and, and the valves didn't shut down. That's often ignored as well. So if you have an explosion, you need to shut down all your, your mechanical equipment immediately. And uh, with rotary valves, especially, you got to make sure they're not turning anymore. So, well, like with what I'm talking about here, uh, we have uh, you know certified explosion testing um, documentation on what we what we offer, and it's, it's proven within the guidelines of the parameters of, of this, the test to isolate and perform. Yeah, and I guess I didn't didn't plan on talking about this one, but because you mentioned, it, I think it's actually quite interesting. There's two ways that that there, there's at least two ways that the rotary valve could fail. One is that it keeps turning. So, you know, the deflagration goes in, you have a fire in there and it just turns and lets it into the next piece of equipment. Um, but also, like you said, the flex tips then, if they're not pressure rated, you're going to have pressurization on one side of them. Um, and that's going to let, you know, air and material, if it's too flexy, say, you know, through. And then that could also let the, the fire and the deflagration through and then not uh, prevent it as well. And I'm sure there's other mechanisms of failure of, of rotary valves that we're, we're not thinking about here, but just sort of brainstorming on a, on a couple of them there. Well, the, the, the NFPA guidelines states that they need to be, you know, steel close tolerance. They list a whole bunch of, uh, you know, standards or parameters that they must meet. And, and it does say in there that, you know, flex tips are acceptable or it says composite or non-metallic miracle, but they have to be proven, you know, and tested to, uh, to meet these, to actually isolate the flame. Well, the other one that we see is temperature fluctuations. So if you have a, if you have a process that runs re- really hot and, and, you know, at cooler conditions as well, maybe at startup, then you need to account for that because that can change. So the, the tolerance um, of the, the, the veins and the tips, and if that opens up too much, then you, you know, you get in a case where you can uh, let the, the fire or the deflagration pass through. And, and you have to maintain it. You have to, to check it. That's, that's the other thing, no matter if it's flex or if it's steel, I mean, you're going to get wear. Yeah. You have to maintain it. It's a piece of safety equipment in addition to a process. Okay. I mean, that was sort of a, a, a quick crash course and things around abort gates, um, around challenges you might run into, around what some of the solutions are. Uh, we even got into some other parts of the, the, the systems for the dust collectors and the isolation side. 
Any any other sort of recommendations more broadly for, for industries handling combustible dust? You know, really what, what I, I'd really like to see happen is that if uh, the industry, you know, uh, you know, end users and also people in the business like we are, would, would they need to uh, enforce the idea to prioritize fire explosion into the actual system design. Um, you know, far too often, like I was talking about with, uh, you know, I'm not trying to throw contractors under the bus or anything, but, you know, a lot of projects are done on, on low price and you're going to do what you got to do make sure that, that you don't lose money on it. Um, but if there was an actual um, thought that, that the actual safety components were just as important as the performance of the dust collection system and that the planning was made, you know, to for proper performance, that's, that's really the mindset that's going to eliminate a lot of these failures that you're seeing here on the market. Yeah, and I would even add to that, designing with safety in mind from the start is, is going to save money and time and headache and, and, and hopefully heartache as well but something that also comes up is you know you get to the 11th hour and you're you're just ready to to start the you know install the the project and then you need to cut the budget so what do you do you you downgrade a piece of equipment or you connect it up in a different way so it serves sort of a different purpose you just need to make sure that even once it's designed correctly and you're going to install it, that 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 actually gets put into action in the way that it was, it was designed i get Think of some specific examples, but maybe I'll, I'll leave those ones alone for now. But yeah, it's the whole design and installation process. You need to make sure that safety is considered um, in those aspects. You know, and in addition to that, I mean, we need to be making these products accessible to the market for companies of all different sizes. I mean, what is the perfect solution um, that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars is not going to be able to um, be purchased by the smaller groups. And so there needs to be multiple levels of protection, you know, have a lot, lot of good solutions out there. We, we need to, to, to work on that. A lot of good solutions in addition to the best solutions, um, because, you know, some protection is better than no protection. And if you make it too complicated and, and it, it's just not going to be accessible when people are going to do whatever they can do not to install it. Yeah, I mean, I I get a little squirrely about it, but I do. One one part of it is I I fully think that overprotection will lead to under adoption. So if you if we do overprotect everything, then we're gonna have less people adopt that technology, and then we're less close to our, our mission of seeing zero zero fatalities by two thousand thirty eight. So I've always tried to weigh the two. Um, now there there is the challenge with that, and and. So that's overprotection, but it's got to be protected at least enough. Exactly. <laughs> so that's the other thing, you know, the you, it, just doing something, something is better than nothing as long as it's, you know, still beats a bare minimum level of safety. If you're, if your worker's standing beside a conveying line all day, every day, and that conveys a, a hazardous, you know, enough dust to be hazardous, sometimes there's going to be a spark in there that explodes by that person's um, body and you know when we could have just move their workstation away from that line or something like you know there's there's kind of minimum sets of things that we can do to meet the bare minimum so it's it's like both sides of the equation <laughs> well you know it's it's more about the, the smaller groups that just make it so not um they, they just cannot handle that the cost of of the best solution out there um so it's it's more about you know if we can have multiple multiple layers and, and make sure that they're certified work for the intended use is kind of where I'm coming from. So. Makes a ton of sense. That's all I really had for today, Nick. So uh, anything else you want to close off on or are we, uh, we good to go for this episode? I think we're good. And I uh, appreciate you taking the time to do this. 
Thank you. Well, I, I just got off the call with uh, Jim Peters before this interview, and we did an excellent interview, which the audience will know because they would have listened to last week, on hammer mills and basically soup to nuts or, uh, yeah, soup to nuts, I guess, is the, the best saying. Jim taught me a couple of Kansas <laughs> Uh, sayings, but maybe I won't repeat those here. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we had a great interview. So I appreciate him coming on this morning. I appreciate yourself coming on this afternoon to talk about Bork Gates. And it's been pretty interesting from like to pair this with the safety share that we had with Corey back in episode 105 to say, okay, these are real challenges. And then these are some of the solutions that we can be looking to um, in these facilities. So I thank you for that. Thank you, Chris. And with that, Nick, I guess we'll close off for today. Uh, look forward to a chance of getting you back on the podcast in the future. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney, and Nick Schlentz, president of Boss Products LLC, based out of Shirts, Texas. We've been talking about alternatives to abort gates on dust collector dirty side ducting. We talked about what the challenges are with these systems. And as I mentioned in the outset, this interview was you know something that came after the safety share that we had in episode 105 on testing of high-speed abort gates. So we talked about some of the challenges in that episode, but I'll, I'll reiterate them here. One was this this blade fluttering, so the, the actual gate itself not closing. And this can be because the material, the air velocity and the ducting is too high. So you're not um, getting enough momentum, I guess, to close that gate. But it can also be things like build up around the gate. It can be abrasion. There's a couple of you know maintenance things that can happen there as well. We talked about design. If you have elbows in your system, if you have it designed a different way, then the abort gate was designed to operate under or tested and certified under, then you can run into challenges there. And we talked about damage and abrasion and, you know, if it's on the dirty side, that's basically under a lot more rugged conditions than on, on the clean side for these systems. We talked through what some of the solutions then are for these challenges. You know, the, the bare the bare minimums have nothing or, the you know, the zero answers to have nothing is have ducting. That's a challenge for a couple of reasons. You know, a fire that starts downstream gets sucked into the dust collector Worst case scenario is you have an explosion in the dust collector there, and that propagates then back upstream and downstream, um, back into your other piece of processing equipment. So you really want to be able to install layers of protection on that. So one option might be detect and distinguish. A better option, that would be detect and distinguish, and then something like aborting or isolating from there on. There's different ways you can connect these systems in a way that can both meet your operational considerations but then also meet the, the safety requirements of the system as well. So that's safe and operating uh, correctly from that standpoint. We talked about isolation a bit. So a piece of equipment that you put on, on to protect an explosion in the dust collector from propagating back into the facility through the dirty side stream. Nick mentioned that they use a firebreak shutter for their isolation system for these types of systems. This is sort of a knife gate for the dirty side to stop the fire from getting to the dust collector. Um, then they have other isolation options that you can stop from a deflagration for the dust collector coming back upstream. We talked a bit about isolation in the dust collector itself and specifically the hopper and some considerations around the rotary valve. So that can be a challenge in woodworking industries. You can get into cases where you get material that's jamming in those small tolerances because you have these sort of fibrous elongated particles. So you really need to make sure that the, the equipment that you select there is going to work appropriately and is certified and tested under the conditions that it's going to be actually using. So this can include temperature fluctuations. Um, if you're using, you know, flexible tips and they need to be, that type of equipment needs to be um, understood well and be able to pre prevent the explosion in that type of situation. And then we just closed up with some of Nick's thoughts on combustible dust in general. So finding a solution that really matches the requirements and needs of the operator, 
not everyone can afford maybe a, you know a million dollar safety system, but also you need need to install to some level of safety. Just having a ducting with nothing there, you're really at an extremely high risk of injuring an employee when something happens in that sort of circumstance. So if you have something that's creating sparks or letting in metal downstream and you have it ducting pneumatically, it's really just a matter of time until you have a fire or explosion in that ducting. And we also talked about, you know, make sure that you're prioritizing and putting the right level of protection in for the system that you're working with. If you do over protect everything, you're going to have a case where you do have under, under adoption and we're not going to be able to move the industry ahead or the community ahead as a whole to protect more facilities. So that's it. I hope you learned a lot from this episode. As always, you can grab the transcripts from dustsafetyscience.com slash 114. That's the episode number. If you go there, we'll have a way to contact Nick as well. And we'll link to the Boss Products website and you can get the other information for the kind of products that we talked about here. So if you have a great week ahead, I want to say thank you for everything you do. Industries handling combustible dust, making them safer every day around the world. I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. Thank you.